to the Kung Fu Dragon Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. So you want to be a Kung Fu master? Well, you can be. At Shaolin, we can teach you the ancient art of Kung Fu in 35 not-so-easy, often painful, and potentially lethal steps. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vida, and today, I'm going to take you to school. But that school happens to be Shaolin Temple, as we discuss another Kung Fu classic, the 36th Chamber of Shaolin. According to the Harvard Film Archive, the 36th Chamber of Shaolin, also known as the Master Killer, is an exhilarating rendition of the legendary dissemination of the Shaolin martial arts. In 2014, Time Out placed this movie at number 29 on their list of top 100 action movies of all time. Now for me, in the last episode, I said that The Five Deadly Venoms was my number one film. But this is easily a 1A, because Gordon Liu, one of my favorite actors in this whole genre, made me believe that anyone could learn Kung Fu as long as they possessed the right combination of mental drive, physical strength, and spiritual discipline. Oh, uh, and could infiltrate Shaolin Temple. Uh, and um, convinced the monks to take you on as a student. Oh, uh, and had seven to ten years minimum to spare for practice. But other than that, totally doable. The 36th Chamber of Shaolin is a 1978 Shaw Brothers film directed by Liu Lang and starring Gordon Liu, who in this film embodies the everyman zero-to-hero character that made him a huge star in Kung Fu cinema. Not only is he an exceptional martial artist, but between this and the loosely related sequels, he shows off great range as an actor as well. It's no wonder that uh, Quentin Tarantino was such a big fan of his and cast him in Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2. This film unspools the legend of Shaolin warrior monk San De and is widely considered to be one of the greatest and most influential films in the entire kung fu genre. A young student named Liu Yude, played by Gordon Liu, is drawn into a local rebellion against the invading Manchu oppressors. When his family is murdered and his home destroyed, Liu flees to Shaolin Temple to learn kung fu so that he can one day return to exact his revenge. While at Shaolin, Lu learns and practices the martial arts by visiting all 35 chambers of learning, where he is shown all the foundational techniques of Shaolin Kung Fu. After several years of hard study, Lu emerges as a newly minted Kung Fu master, but his goals have changed from simple revenge to teaching Shaolin Kung Fu to the people so that they can stand up for themselves. Director Liu Cha Lang opens the film in very memorable trademark fashion, showing Gordon Liu practicing different martial arts forms across different landscapes. Gordon's an imposing figure, and even though he's not particularly built, he's lithe and wiry and always sported that intense Gordon Liu glare that let you know that he meant business. We open up in a restaurant with Cantonese rebels plotting against the Manchu invaders who've set up shop in their town. A local teacher, Mr. Ho, and rebel general Yin are planning on assassinating the visiting Manchu Inspector General. But the opposing general, played here by legendary Kung Fu actor Lo Lei, is a step ahead of them and has a surprise prepared. Fight scene. Our generals get the first fight of the movie and they throw down with some major weaponry. The rebel general has a long-handled battle axe, while the Manchu general is rocking two short swords, and both of these guys show off amazing skill with their weapon handling. Our Manchu general is ambidextrous, and because this fight is so tightly choreographed, is able to attack and then immediately defend even against his blind spots. The rebel general is equally adept with his axe, at one point kicks it up off the floor, catches it, and then immediately rolls into an attack with it. 
it's always amazing how these warriors could fight so fluidly with their weapons, like they were really extensions of themselves, and just go at it for so long. Um, as kids, when we used to play fight with weapons, inevitably one of us would bust our knuckles, usually inside of the first 30 seconds, and it would pretty much end the fight. Because when you were younger, if you were hit with the edge of anything harder than a Q-tip, I don't care how tough you were, you dropped whatever you were holding, you clutched your hand to your chest, and you prayed for either the pain or your life to end, whichever came first. Your skill's worthy of a general, and if you want to fight, fight with me. One to one, man to man. Much more fair. You agree? Right. Whatever you say. Suits me fine. In this full-speed whirlwind, highly dangerous dance of a fight, amidst sweeping sword and axe strokes and the clang of steel on steel, it's the rebel general who takes the first wound to the arm, rendering it completely useless. The cocky Manchu general mocks him. I'll fight you with one hand. He proceeds to wipe the floor with him with a few well-placed strikes, which cause some internal bleeding, which, as a kung fu film fan, you're all too familiar with. It's usually characterized by the fighter dry heaving briefly and then spitting up a mouthful of blood and then getting back into the fight until that final death rattle, which must be accompanied by one desperate back arch and a last-ditch attempt to stand up before collapsing dramatically to the ground, which our rebel general does with appropriate gravitas as he expires. He was a hero. What was that, huh? We finally meet Gordon Liu's character, Liu Yuda, who's a local college student, as he and his friends are heading into town. They see General Yin strung up and a few other rebels lying dead in the streets, while the big heavy here, Lord Tang, is busy keeping the rabble in line. Liu mentions that General Yin was a hero, and that draws the ire of Lord Tang, who starts to smack the crap out of him until Lou is saved by a local merchant who explains that he's just a schoolboy being stupid. Lord Tang, however, will not forget Lou Yudai anytime soon. It gets a little more complicated for Lou as he and his friends are unwillingly recruited as spy couriers for Mr. Ho, just as the Manchus are gearing up for their war machine and cracking down on all suspected spy activity. When uh, one of Lou's friends gets caught and interrogated, instead of giving up any secrets, he throws himself on a sword, which frustrates the Manchu and sends them into a rage that they decide to take out on the town. Lou's father winds up a casualty, as do many of the town's shops and citizens. Lou and one other cohort manage to escape the massacre and decide that they need to go to Shaolin and learn Kung Fu so that they can come back and defeat the Manchu invaders once and for all. However, on the road to Shaolin, Lou happens upon a chance encounter with Lord Tang as he's passing through the countryside. Tang recognizes Lou, and this causes the pair to make a break for it with Tang in hot pursuit. Unfortunately, Lou's buddy gets captured and killed, but Lou manages to escape, though really badly wounded. He stumbles across a local mountain shopkeeper, and with his help, he stows away on a Shaolin supply run and manages to get inside the temple walls, where he spends ten days in a coma. When he wakes up, he realizes that he's in Shaolin finally, and he begs the monks to allow him to stay. After a little bit of hesitation, the chief abbot shows mercy and accepts him, and after a year of wax-on, wax-off type sweeping and cleaning, uh, Lou finally asks about learning Kung Fu and is granted the chance. And now, we let the epic training sequence begin. It is a good day to die. 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 
You know those training montages like in Rocky, right? Well, this is like that, but on an epic scale. The meat of this movie is Gordon Liu's character, now named Sanda, learning what it takes to be a Shaolin warrior monk. Now, if you told any Hollywood exec that you wanted to make a movie where the hero does nothing but train for two-thirds of the movie, you'd be escorted out of the office via the window. But here, because Sanda is so intense and so committed to the study, and Gordon Liu is so committed to the role, it works. You kind of become a student right alongside him, and you're rooting for him to keep moving through these chambers, though not necessarily because you want him to exact revenge on the Manchu. I mean, of course you do, but more so because you can see Sanda growing into this focused, devoted monk who wants nothing but to achieve enlightenment and bring that to the people, and you kind of want it for him. But before he gets to that place in his soul, he starts off by impulsively overreaching and asks to begin his training at the very top chamber. He's immediately rebuked by the master with a magical chi punch that sends Sanda sprawling. The humbled Sanda wisely decides to start one chamber down and work its way through. Now the chi punch would look familiar because it's essentially a force push. George Lucas himself has admitted that he based the Jedi Order on Shaolin to a very large degree. So if anybody out there wants to draw a Sanda versus Darth Vader picture and send it my way, please do so. It would be so awesome. physical fitness that few have achieved, but you don't need to be a Kung Fu master to get into the best shape of your life. As an independent Beachbody coach, Jeff Vita has helped many people focus on better nutrition and exercise to shape up and slim down in as little as 60 days. All for free. Sign up for a free account with Jeff at www.beachbodycoach.com slash ignisaurumprobat. That link will be in the show notes. To get his coaching and guidance from nutrition to workout tips, as well as daily motivation to follow through on a program that suits your needs and goals. Jeff can speak from experience, having lost 51 pounds while doing the Insanity Max 30 workout. You can see his transformation on YouTube via the link in the show notes. Ignis Orm Probot. Fire test gold. Time to shine. Thirty-fifth form, is that it? Go on, you'll starve if you're late. The first chamber we encounter is the pond chamber, which requires all students to cross a pond by stepping on floating bundles of wood in order to gain access to the dining hall. You don't cross, you don't eat. Of course, Sun does attempt lands him in the murky water, and by the time he gets to the dining hall, all the food has been eaten. He tries to sneak some food from the teacher's dining hall, but he gets caught and punished for his transgression. Over the next few nights, Sanda spends much of his time practicing and studying the obstacle by finding a substitute in wooden buckets which he rolls ahead of him and then jumps onto while maintaining perfect balance. 
Now, I'm going to tell you from personal experience that this is a stupid way to train for this obstacle. Or more accurately, I was a stupid kid for trying to train for this obstacle by attempting this trick at home. Instead of wooden buckets, I used two small hard plastic buckets that I could stand on. And I did what Sanda did. I rolled the buckets ahead of me and then went to jump on them. And do you know what happens when you try to jump on plastic buckets that are rolling on a linoleum floor? I'll tell you what happens. A busted lip, bruised arms, bruised ribs, a bump the size of a softball on your noggin. And needless to say, I would have starved in that first week of Shaolin. Sando, on the other hand, masters the technique very quickly and demonstrates his newfound skill by making a sick leap over his own crossed leg, bouncing lightly off of the floating bundle, then switching legs in midair and landing on the other side of the pond. It's the equivalent of the NBA All-Star Game slam dunk that blows back the entire first row. There's no time to gloat, though, because the next day the bundles of wood are now loose logs and no one seems to be able to get to the dining hall in time. Sanda eventually does find a way to conquer the obstacle and earns his trip to the next chamber. There are a few great interviews on YouTube with Gordon Liu that I want you guys to go out and watch. I'll put the links in the show notes, but he explains how he prepared for this particular movie. Guys, he said all the exercises and training that you see in the film are real. He had to train every day to get these scenes right. The logs are real logs, and he talked about how if you landed wrong, the logs would tip up and over and smack him on his head. These interviews are amazing because you get to see how dedicated Lou is to his craft and how all that sincerity really made him such a standout in the Kung Fu cinema world. You'll have to carry the water for many days to build up your arms. Right. Sir. Back at Shaolin Temple, Sanda heads into the arms chamber, which is a scene that a lot of people identify with this film. Novices have to carry full buckets of water with their arms straight out at either side, up a steep incline, to dump water down a sluice. However, they can't put their arms down because there are knives strapped to their biceps that will cut into them should they relax. Now, I didn't practice this one because even I had enough sense to know that strapping sharp knives to my arms was probably a bad idea. Sanda progresses quickly through this chamber, though, and heads on into the wrist chamber. Don't you underestimate this phase. Here, Sanda has to strike a bell with a weighted 12-foot pole using only one hand, in time to the master's tempo. The wicked bruises that everyone sports in this scene on their wrists look nasty and genuinely painful. Sanda, of course, aces this chamber to the point that he's ringing the bell in perfect time with the abbot while holding the hammer at the very end of the staff. The next chamber is the eye chamber, which emphasizes having keen eyes and supreme focus. All he has to do here is follow a metronomic flame with his eyes only, without moving his head. And if he does move his head, Two red-hot pokers are poised on either side of his face to keep him honest. Sanda burns through that chamber, get it, burns through that chamber, and punches his ticket to the head chamber, or, as I like to call it, concussion alley, because students have to punch their way through a gauntlet of heavy bags using only their heads. Now, if you've ever punched a regulation boxing heavy bag, try and imagine knocking that out of your way using just your noggin. I'm thinking there was lots of Dane Bramage going on in there. If you look closely at the master in this scene, you can see this massive nasty callus that he's built up on his head. The students, meanwhile, are all suffering from blunt force head trauma and trying not to vomit or pass out. This room turns out to be an important step for Sanda, who we find out has progressed through to the chamber in only two years' time. If he can master this chamber, his next step would be to proper fighting and weapons training. 
knowing he's so close only strengthens Sanda's resolve to finish, and in just 25 months' time, Sanda has completed 10 of the 35 chambers. Pretty good. Do you remember in the 36th champion, I have training many things. I, I, light, uh, I fight uh, into the water and uh, with bamboo and life, many things. It's a real training. Lu's incredible athleticism and mastery of his skill really pay off in the boxing and the weapons training sequences. He's a student of Hungar Fist, and it is so evident in the way he moves so confidently. There never seems to be a step that is off balance or out of place, and he just seems to implicitly understand where his body is in space at all times. Meanwhile, Sanda moves to the leg chamber and the sword chamber, where he shows off a ballet grace while throwing around the steel at will. Gordon Liu has said in those interviews that they practiced with real swords, so they had to really know what they were doing because people could get hurt badly if there was any hesitation. They used to practice these moves at full speed, and if anybody slowed down even for a second, it threw off the timing to the point where somebody got cut. Liu has said that he walked away with a lot of injuries, but didn't stop him from giving his all for this film. After only five years, Sanda masters all 35 chambers of Shaolin and is granted custody of any chamber he chooses. However, there's one slight stumbling block. But let's not be too hasty. Rather, wait and see. Oh. You've something in mind? Let him fight with me, using the weapon of his choice. And if he's able to counter my sword style, then you can promote him. The Justice Abbot is played by Hoi San Lee, and he's the one here who wants to take the wait-and-see approach to Sanda's promotion. There's a great interview with Hoi San Lee on YouTube that I'll post a link to in the show notes. But he was a student of Wing Chun, and he was a kung fu teacher before he got into acting. The fight scenes between him and Gordon Liu are exhilarating. Lee works with swords while Liu chooses a staff. And interestingly, these are the favorite weapons of the actors who have both said that they much prefer working with quote-unquote hard weapons over flexible ones because they're easier to control. Fight scene. Attack! Justice Abbott makes very short work of Sanda in their first few fights, disarming him quickly and pointing out how Sanda would be dead if they were actually fighting. While off by himself training with a bladed staff, Sanda accidentally slices through some bamboo and is inspired to create a brand new weapon. In those interviews I mentioned, Lou called these new weapons the triple iron. Some people call it a trisection staff, other people will call it a triple nunchuck. When Sanda brings this to the fight, he fares much better and disarms the Justice Abbot, finally earning his charge over a chamber. He chooses to break mold and create a 36 chamber to teach Kung Fu to the common people. On the surface, the Abbot disagrees with the notion and seems to rebuke Sanda for his choice. However, there's a knowing glance that he exchanges with Sanda after which he quote-unquote expels him from the temple for his perceived impertinence. This expulsion, however, implicitly and discreetly allows Sanda to follow through on his goal and take Shaolin to the people. I'm discovering God, I'm breaking down a facade, I'm discovering God, and I know that we are not flawed. I look beyond the veil and see the patterns unfold, reflecting the light of my soul and the whole of my being is receiving the knowledge is being channeled from my past lives like years ago and I know... Every day, whether you realize it or not, you're moved by the power of visual communication, and that's by design. At Tinbox Marketing Solutions, the goal of that design 
is to bring effective communication to a myriad of people through shape, color, texture, and sound. Tinbox is a creative services group located in Los Angeles, California, by way of New York City. Their clients include La Tigre, Konami, Pony Footwear, and comedian Jerry Seinfeld. For the bleeding edge in graphic design and print services, don't think outside the box. There is no box. Tinboxsolutions.com I'm discovering God, and I know that we are not flawed. This frequency is so high, becoming one as our atoms collide. So energies both attracted through vibes tonight. Sunda heads back to his village in full monk regalia and sees that the townspeople are still fighting the Manchu invaders. Sunda comes across one battle in a graveyard as a local rebel is burying his comrade. But Lord Tang is lying there in wait, trying to clean up the rebels wherever he can. After all this time, Sanda comes face to face with his persecutor. Fight scene. In this really compact fight scene, Sanda really gets to put all of the chamber's teachings to good use. We get to see him flex all of his Shaolin muscles as he mentally steps back through all of the chambers he studied in as the battle progresses. The, um, the glint of light off of metal bounces off of his eyes, alerting him to daggers in flight. Uh, a long pole attack is stored with his freakishly strong wrists and so on. He takes on about a dozen or so guards with swords and spears and defeats Lord Tang, pinning him underfoot, ready to deliver the killing blow. But, armed with all the skill and an opportunity to exact his revenge, Sanda has grown to the point where he doesn't necessarily need to kill this guy. The rebel who he happened upon in this graveyard, however, has no compunctions, and he goes in and delivers the final blow to Lord Tang. Sanda, however, instead, begins to attract students as a function of his being a devoted and peaceful monk. In town, Sanda comes across a number of townsfolk still looking to get out from under Manchu rule. He finds allies in a blacksmith, a bamboo splitter, and a rice miller as the Sanda posse starts coming into full effect. He does, however, have one vendetta that he needs to address, and as the word of Lord Tang's death gets around, it appears that the vendetta is going to come after him anyway. Well, find out who did it. I want that killer caught. Sir, we're investigating it. Fight scene. The first showdown happens in the general's encampment against a garrison of soldiers led by Manchu commander Lord Cheng. While the soldiers are preparing to hunt down our master killer, it's San De who brings the fight to them by showing up just in time to stop an execution of some rebel prisoners. San De again gets to show off the skills he's perfected in Shaolin by taking on about 30 or so spear-wielding soldiers, as well as dealing with a skilled fighter in Lord Cheng. It's another fantastic showcase of Lu's athleticism as he dodges spear attacks while going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Lord Cheng. These scenes always kind of struck me funny even as a kid because I would watch all 30 of these soldiers try to get this one guy down, and the soldiers that were immediately engaged with him had something to do, but I would watch the other guys that were kind of along the sidelines bouncing back and forth or swinging their spears around so they looked busy and they looked like they were trying to fight, but actually not. It made for a dynamic fight scene regardless. Lord Chang, however, never quite looks like he's in this fight as Sanda sets the pace and maneuvers Chang into position time and again to take his beating. Even here, Sanda manages to avoid killing by guiding the fight so that it's the soldiers who actually run Cheng through with their spears, which were obviously meant for Sanda. Cheng has a prolonged death rattle dance before he crashes to the sand, which sends the rest of the garrison running in fear. The next day, our Manchu general, Tian, is uh, preparing to ride out when some distraction tactics from the Sanda posse separate the general from his troops, 
allowing Sunda to lure him out into an open field for some one-on-one big boss battle action. Final fight! You've killed too many men. I? I've killed a lot of men, but never a monk, not yet. Gordon Liu Sanda faces off here against General Tian, played by Lo Lei, whom Gordon idolized as an actor and a martial artist. In choreographing the scene, Liu and Lo both committed to fighting at full speed to make sure that the action looked really good on screen. The peril here was that every move had to be perfectly timed and executed, or else someone would wind up bruised and bloody. Gordon Liu was very tentative about this scene because he had to fight with the triple irons, which he felt were just a little too wild to control. Lo Lei had actual swords in play, even if they were dulled down, at the speed at which they were moving, were going to do damage. Some of the best aspects of this fight scene are shown in the long shots, so you can see both combatants' full forms as they step and counter-step, strike and counter-strike, and they throw their weapons around with incredible flair. If anything, this fight is just not long enough because Sanda quickly gets the upper hand on General Tian and disarms him. But once he's disarmed, Sanda throws away his triple irons to finish this fight fairly. Again, he gets a draw here from the Well of Shaolin Techniques and breaks out the concussion alley move as he catches an already reeling General Tian with a shot to the gut. There's a great freeze frame here of Liu in uh, mid-Kia as his head is making contact with Lo Lei's midsection, and it transitions right to a shot of Liu using his head to flip Lo up and over his head into another freeze frame just before the assumed demise of General Tian. We end up back at Shaolin with the newly formed 36th chamber where Sanda is holding court over new novices, which include his Sanda posse. It's uh, very gratifying to see him get there. This movie resonated with a lot of people from my generation and forever cemented Gordon Liu's persona as the master killer warrior monk. Even though it typecast him and uh, made it difficult for him to act in any other role, Liu wholly embraced it and did everything he could with it to much success. This persona permeated pop culture at the time and still continues to this day. Popular rap group Wu-Tang Clan was born from the philosophies of these movies. Uh, Wu-Tang's RZA has talked about idolizing Gordon Liu and being an accomplished martial artist himself said that if he could battle anyone, he'd want to, bo- to uh, battle the Master Killer himself. One of Wu-Tang's members is actually named Master Killer in reverence to the character and his ideals. Alterei o curso da história Em que momento mudei Me afundei nesta casa ilusória Quando matei o meu nome E inventei esta persona Que me salvou Mas me condenou A existência em glória Em criança eu The Electric Church Is a heartwarming tale Of contract murder Body horror Dystopia And vampires Okay, there are no vampires But if my publisher Would listen to me And put vampires on the cover We'd sell a million copies And I'd be rich enough To afford security Against all the pissed off Vampire fans we duped But so far my publisher Just hangs up the phone And sends me threatening letters About the whole vampire thing So forget I said anything at all Avery Cates is a gunner in a future where the world has been united under one government, which means yay, no more war, but mm, way more beatings at the hands of brutal security forces known as the System Police. The fastest growing religion in this grim world is the Electric Church, founded by a mysterious man named Dennis Squalor, which preaches that a normal human lifespan is too short to attain salvation, so why not pop your pulsing living brain into a cyborg body so you can live forever, praying and praying and murdering people. The church, it turns out, is saving souls the only way that makes sense in this crazy world, forcibly via gunshot wound to the chest followed by emergency back alley brain transplant surgery. I am not making this up. The cops can't go after the church directly because its status as a religion gives it some protection, but after he and his psionic sidekick kill a system cop, Avery Cates is forced to take on a contract on Dennis Squaller's life. 
Cates puts together a lovable ragamuffin group of thieves, hackers, and kidnap victims, and travels to London, where the church's headquarters. There he deals with pesky law enforcement, a rogue monk that wants very badly to kill him in a painful manner, and a legendary gunner thought long dead who takes an interest in the project, much to Cates' distress. After battling through the church's security, Cates discovers the terrible secrets behind the whole world order, and the cops try to double-cross him. But Cates is too badass awesome, and while just about everyone around him dies horribly, he survives to star in the sequel. There's singing, dancing, and cupcake recipes. Not really. But damn, I should've put that in there. That would've been way cooler. For more on Avery Cates, visit avery-cates.com. That's A-V-E-R-Y-C-A-T-E-S.com. Gordon Liu, meanwhile, stayed active well into his later years, especially after a career revival with Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, where he played two roles. One as the leader of the Crazy 88, Johnny Moe, and the second as Master Pai Mei, who trains Uma Thurman's character in The Art of Kung Fu. Sadly, in August of 2011, Gordon Liu suffered a stroke that left him partially paralyzed. He's been in active recovery ever since, and as of 2014, his recovery had been progressing well enough for him to be out and about with his team. There's a uh, really bittersweet video of that event on his website, uh, because while he's smiling and he's clearly happy to be with friends and family, he's still partially paralyzed and he needs help eating his food. I can't imagine how tough that must be for a guy who, for such a long time, had so much control over every aspect of his physical form. But um, it's heartening to see that it hasn't stopped him yet now, even at the age of 60. Of course, the persona of the Master Killer won't be going away anytime soon anyway. Though there was an amazing opportunity to further extend that legacy that crushingly never came to fruition. According to thefoosh.com, back in 2008, toy and collectible manufacturer NECA, the National Entertainment Collectibles Association, was set to announce a line of super articulated action figures based on the Shaw Brothers movies. The first wave of this line was going to feature Sandow with his triple irons, brother number six from the eight diagram pole fighter, and the drunken sheriff from the kid with the golden arm. How cool would that have been? Wave 2 was slated to have the Justice Abbott from this movie with his swords, Chang Shang's short axe character from The Kid with the Golden Arms, and Lu Feng's iron hand cannon character from Crippled Avengers. What's crushing is that this line was killed off due to retailer disinterest. Boo, retailers, boo! I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can see some of the figures and cry yourself to sleep later. Meanwhile, you guys need to tweet the link to this episode out to NECA and make your voices heard that these figures need to be made. While you do that, I'm going to go and put out a public call to Todd McFarlane and say that if NECA doesn't want to do it, for him to please make these figures, because if anyone else can bring these characters to life, it would be Todd McFarlane toys. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for joining me. If you have the time, please go into iTunes and give me a rating and a review so that I can start my push up the charts and make my play for world domination. Tune in next week as I break down the Five Fingers of Death, which director Brett Ratner has scheduled for a full-scale Hollywood remake. Really, it was on the internet, so it has to be true. See you next week on the Kung Fu Dragon Podcast. Peace.